millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And news that probably won't come as a surprise to too many people, Stats NZ today announced New Zealand's birth rate has fallen to its lowest level since World War II. Statistics released this morning showed there were 19,071 more births than deaths in 2023. Back in 1843, there were 17,562 more births than deaths. What did I say then? Sorry, did I say 1843? I said, goodness gracious. Thank you, Producer Bonnie, for fact-checking me. 1943, that was. Uh, Anyway, back in 2021... I spoke to Massey University Distinguished Professor Paul Spoonley for the detail about what New Zealand's population would look like in 20 years' time and what we needed to do in order to prepare. So earlier today, I uh, we revisited that conversation in light of these new figures, and uh, I began by hypothesising that these numbers probably wouldn't have come as much of a surprise to Paul. Good evening, Emil. No, it wasn't. Um, the numbers have been tracking down, and, and while they fluctuate a wee bit, what we can see is a long-term trend. So we talk about numerical and structural ageing of the, of the population and declining fertility, and both the ageing, the ageing, the proportion of the population that's over 65 keeps going up, but the number of births relative to our population, but also in an absolute sense, keep going down. And I suppose, you know, relating this to that World War II comparison, um, you know, we did, we had a post-war baby boom after that. Um, but to the best of my knowledge, and you'll know more about this than me, but there is not really an expectation that there is going to be a post-COVID baby boom or, or any sort of um, event-triggered baby boom in, in the short-term future. Is that pretty much the case? That That, that is the case. So we, we saw those returning soldiers coming back, establishing families, uh, giving birth to that baby boom uh, generation, which went from 1945 to 1964. New Zealand had the long, one of the longest baby booms of any country, by the way. Mm. So we were seeing about 65,000 births per year then, and now we're down at 56,000. And, of course, our population then was about 2.5 million. Mm. Population now is 5.3 million. So COVID was a bit of a blip, but any expectation that we might have seen a post-COVID spike in the birth numbers has actually been blown out of the water, really, by today's numbers from Stats New Zealand, which show that we've got the lowest total fertility rate, number of births per woman, that we've ever seen. Paul, you know, there are plenty of people who might say to this, well, jolly good, uh, there are 5.3 million of us already, as you've just outlined, and it's hard enough already keeping those people fed and clothed and with a roof over their heads. Uh, More of this, please. What would you say to that? Um, Well, I have some sympathy for that because I think what we've never done very well in this country is align our population growth and our projections with what we can provide. So I'm sitting here in Auckland, 
Um, I'm very well aware of the deficit on services and infrastructure in Auckland. And by the way, we've just had the largest number of immigrant arrivals Mm. we've ever seen, our largest net gain we've ever seen. And I've estimated that about 70,000 of those net arrivals end up in Auckland. So Mm. we've just added 70,000 to Auckland's population. So we do need to align our population growth with the various factors that contribute to that growth. And yes, I mean, for the last year, for the 2023 year, our population rate, annual growth, was 2.8%. The average for the OECD is 0.4%. We are seven times higher than the average for the OECD. So we've really got to think about these sorts of things and think about, you know, the declining fertility that we've talked about, but also the the numbers arriving and the contribution to population growth that immigration presents. Well, yeah, because, you know, some some commentators in this around this particular topic do feel a wee bit uneasy at some of the language that gets used and the suggestion that a declining fertility rate is in and of itself a bad thing because the human birth rate overall is very much still increasing. That is being driven um, by Africa in particular and the Middle East and Southeast Asia. And these people might say, you know, sure, it might lead countries like New Zealand to rely more on immigration, but what's so bad about that? More immigration is good. No, strength through diversity. Yes. Can we take that in two parts? Firstly, internationally, absolutely. As we look out to for the next 80 years until the end of the century, sub-Saharan Africa is where population growth will occur. Mm. But right around the high-income world and in places like Singapore, Taiwan, Korea, but also Spain, Portugal, Hungary, Poland, uh, we are seeing population decline, depopulation. Last year, the Japanese population declined by 443,000. So this is new territory from all of us, and depopulation, of course, has environmental and other implications. But coming back to the domestic scene, Emil, the problem for us is the balance, and essentially sometime this decade, almost a quarter of us will be aged over 65, and mm-hmm. most of us will have exited the workforce at that point. So the question becomes, where do we get our workers? So it's, it's, it's not growth per se, which is the issue. It's the distribution of a population and, and how you get the people that you need for your workforce, given a, a declining proportion at the lower end, the, the younger end, and an increasing proportion at the top end. You mentioned that New Zealand's not alone in, in having a below replacement rate, fertility rate. Uh, you know, if I search up fertility rate drop on Google and click on the news section, I see stories about Japan, uh, their lowest ever last year. The USA has declined 30% in 15 years, steep drop there. South Korea, you mentioned South Korea just then, lowest in the world, less than half the rate even of New Zealand. That's that's yeah. quite staggering. And. And, and you alluded there, this is this does tend to be happening, happening across relatively wealthy, relatively politically stable democracies around the world. Why? It's, in, internationally, the evidence is quite clear. It's the increasing proportion of females who have uh, educational credentials and increasingly higher educational credentials. It's the fact that more females are in the workforce in New Zealand in terms of the paid workforce, it is now 50-50. It's combined with the fact that children can be expensive. Mm. So, um, you know, that's one... 
if you think of the, the, the millennials or Generation Z, we've loaded them up with debt, we've made housing really expensive, and then can you afford to have children is a question. And then the fourth thing is environmental issues. So increasingly, uh, some millennials, some Generation Z are saying, well, if we have children, what are we doing to the environment? Mm. So those are the four factors, but the two main ones are education and employment of women. I mean, I, I'm sort of in that in that demographic that you were talking about there. You know, my friends are, are starting to have kids or, as, as you suggest there, um, quite explicitly deciding not to. And I hear a lot of that. I hear a lot of, you know, why would I bring a child into the world of such turbulence and such uncertainty? There are already way too many people. Look at the impact we're having on the environment. Adding more is hardly going to help out. Do you have a response when people say that to you? No, I, I, I think it's a personally rational response. What, what intrigues me is that governments think they can reverse that, that they can reverse the fertility decline. So I'll always mention the case of Hungary, which in 2019 said that if you have four more children, you didn't need to pay income tax. Look at a place like Singapore, which is, which is really concerned. The government is really concerned yeah. about the decline in fertility of Singaporeans. So right around the world, you see governments thinking, right, we can do things to reverse fertility decline. But the decision that's made by you and your colleagues, by your generation, is impervious to those inducements. So there's no examples where pro-natal policies, um, pro-birth policies, are having an effect. Right. So there's a certain inevitability about it, and I think it's it's really intriguing to think, well, what do we do? I mean, what, what, what do we need to adjust in terms of our policies in a country like New Zealand when we've got declining fertility with the possibility that that fertility will continue to decline and sometime in, in the coming decades we might look like Korea? So we, we haven't seen any country that has successfully been able to turn around uh, for, you know, declining or, or below replacement level fertility rates through policy. Is that right? Yes, in the, in the high-income world. Sweden has had some success, but what tends to happen is it's a short-term right. um, impact. And so when we look at the long-term, which is where we started this discussion, if you look at the last 50 years, the trend is quite clear. It is of lower and lower fertility and really... I can't think of a country that has been able to hold that or reverse that. The concerns that that you raised earlier seem, correct me if I'm oversimplifying, but seem mainly based around the sort of the long term economic effects of having a in terms of age too unevenly distributed a, a population. Who's going to look after the old people? Um, who's yep. who's going to who's going to do the work that brings in taxes? It does strike me, though, that big technological developments are often spurred on by necessity. You know, the idea that we have to, do, we have to make this happen, otherwise something really, really bad is going to happen. Does that idea give you potentially hope that, that actually we won't be so reliant on human resource in the long-term future? Maybe we'll just be forced to take greater steps forward in terms of getting machines to do the jobs that humans once did. Yes, and I think there's a whole range of jobs that if you look over the last 20 to 30 years that are now being done by machines because they're repetitive, they're routine, and they can be done easily without any impact and with possibly some positives in terms of productivity. 
But I look at Germany and Japan. They're the most advanced ageing countries in the world. And when I look at the use of technology there, it still does not make up for some of the gaps. And when we think, for example, of healthcare, you and I, there is so much a machine can do. There is so much a very advanced AI machine can do in terms of our healthcare. But we still need interpersonal contact and the things that come from that. Mm -hmm. And and for me, there's a question there whether or not AI will be able to replicate that. And I'm not the one to answer that one, Anil. So just put that one to one side. Mm -hmm. But when we look at those advanced aging societies, even with the use of technology and the way they've been forced to use technology, it still does not make up for those gaps in the in the population and the working age population. You still need people to serve you in a shop, for example. You still need people to look after you in terms of your educational health. So there are a lot of people-to-people jobs that at the moment I'm not sure that even very sophisticated machines machines can do. I might be proven wrong, but I, I, I don't see it at the moment. Well, just finally on this, um, the, the Prime Minister, Christopher Luxon, um, was the subject of some mirth, uh, in the, uh, I think it was last year, when, when he sort of tacitly suggested that New Zealanders might, might want to be dancing the horizontal tango a bit more often in order to raise the birth rates. Do you think the world is ready for politicians uh, encouraging us with more and more frequency to be more libidinous? I don't know if I can take that. If, if, no, it, well, if there's one thing I'm certain about, Emil... It is that politicians can tell you what you must do in the privacy of your own home and bedroom. That is never going to work. So there's a sort of inexorable um, advance, if you like, in this case a decline in terms of fertility that no politician will successfully reverse. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it's a tough sell. Goodness me. All right, Paul Spoonley, thanks very much. As always, appreciate your time. Thanks, Emil. And that was Paul Spoonley, Distinguished uh, Professor of Sociology uh, from Massey University. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.